again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin alongside John McAlevey. Welcome to this week's podcast as we return to action after a two-week trip across the pond to the Atlantic. John wasn't with me. It was a family trip, but uh, John, it was absolutely great. Uh, Just to let the listeners know, we'll be talking with Kevin Purcell, the executive director of the NJSGA, in just a few moments about this week's amateur championship conducted by the State Golf Association and what it does to promote the sport within the confines of the Garden State. But had a chance to go across the pond, family visit to Ireland. Uh, There were also family on Maggie's side in England that we saw, but was my first chance to go to Wimbledon. Mm. Uh, We started in Ireland, went up to the northern part of the island, and then off to London. And Wimbledon was absolutely everything you see on TV. Beautiful, lush green lawns, friendly people, tennis enthusiasts. I'm not a tennis fan per se, but it was a lot, a lot of fun. Matt, let me just correct you on one thing. I was with you in spirit. Yes, you were. (laughs) I did not make the trip physically. Yeah, talk about Wimbledon. I mean, you see it on television for all these years and all the unbelievable names and the white dress that everyone wears and and the Fortnite, you know, you hear Fortnite. And uh, what uh, what was the one thing that you went uh, thinking about the tournament and and the venue and everything that maybe didn't live up to expectations and something maybe that you were like, wow, I, I didn't realize it was this cool. Yeah, I can honestly say there is nothing that didn't live up to expectations. I think the thing that struck me walking into the grounds is A, it's immaculate, but B, it's not imposing. Like center court is not like uh, the USTA over at Flushing Meadows, the big monstrosity right. yeah. of a stadium there. No, not at all. Uh, it, it fits within the confines of the grounds. I couldn't get into it. That's the That courts one and two, you need tickets to get into. Everything else is a grounds ticket. So that's what Maggie and I got, grounds tickets. We did later in the day, they have a process by which people who are leaving will sell, resell oh, their tickets. Yeah. But- it's done in a very nice way. It's done by Wimbledon. It's for a cheap price. We spent 10 pounds to get into court number two, mm-hmm. and all the money goes to charity. That's terrific. Yeah. I, I thought that's a best practice that could be adopted here. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, uh, so I didn't get into center court, didn't get into court one. But center court, just it's not this imposing structure. It just kind of fits in with the ground. So that's what amazed me, the the green, the lushness. It hadn't dried out. Very hot weather mm-hmm. over there and very dry, unusually so. And I'm talking hot like we had here last week, Ooh. high 80s, uh, low 90s, very unusual for England and for Ireland. But the, the courts had not yet gotten that brown, big brown spot that you see near the service gonna, line. Yeah, I was going to ask, are all the uh, adjoining courts, they're all grass. Everything the oh, entire yeah. tournament absolutely. is grass. Absolutely. And some of the, like I saw John Isner, Maggie and I saw John Isner complete a match that uh, stopped because of darkness the night before. Mm-hmm. And he beat Carlos, is it Carlos Bemelmans of Belgium? Anyway, he mm-hmm. did beat a, a Belgian tennis player. And three rows. Three rows of seats on either side. You're kidding. <laughs> no. You know, so when you get to one of those outside courts, you're that clo- close to the action. Here's the thing. To, like, I play a little tennis. You know the dimensions. Sure. It's kind of like you know basketball. 94 feet, end-to-end baseline. And then when you see LeBron in person go from baseline to baseline as quickly as he can with the power that he does, and you're sitting there, you go, oh, my God. It's the same thing in tennis. Mm-hmm. I play a little bit. I know the dimensions. 
And then you see John Isner unleash a 144-mile-an-hour serve, Mm -hmm. and it's a blur, and it's amazing that anyone can return a serve that fast. You know, it's gotten to the point now where men's tennis is hard to watch because it is. If they don't get that, if they get the first serve in, chances are the point is going to last like one or two hits. If you're working with a second serve, you have a better chance of getting a prolonged point. The women's game is a little bit more, you know, volleying and get back and forth and you can get that crick in your neck from going side to side to side. But I've found that, you know, watching the men's game now is is hard because it's over. And, and, and if you get that serve in, it's done. Yeah, it's serve and volley. And yeah. It's, it's quickly done. But at any rate, it was a blast to go there. And it was, of course, England is in the World Cup and the country is alive with uh, England's move toward its first, perhaps, the hills are World, alive. Yeah, yeah. World Cup since 1966. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was just a, a, an awesome visit. And the family side was great, too, the week before and a little bit in London. Awesome. So it is good to be back in the States, though. And so you've got your Boston Red Sox T-shirt on. You're representing. Here's the deal. They've got a lead over the Yankees in the American League East. They're going to make the playoffs. The Yankees are going to make the playoffs. Pretty much the playoffs are almost set, the, the the five teams that are going to make it. But if you get into that wild card, then you've got the one-off in order to continue, and nobody wants to do that. Are you worried about the Yankees, or are you just worried about playing the best Boston Red Sox baseball you can? You know, as a Red Sox fan growing up when I did, I still have a lot of scar tissue from all the baloney I had to put up with from my Yankee brethren. So yeah, they're always there. I'm always keeping them in, in the back of my mind. One thing that I'm confident about is that the Red Sox have played an inordinate amount of games on the road in the first half. So the second half, I think they're I think they're at least 10 to 12 games more on the road than they've played at home. So that'll be a good thing. They'll have a lot of home games coming up. Uh, you know, you talk about that one game playoff. Can you imagine they'd have two teams win over a hundred games? There's probably going to be three teams in the American League win over a hundred games. One of them is going to play in the one game, uh, one game playoff. Now, listen, I'd hate to use Chris Sale, but if he's what I got in the one game playoff, that would be fine. You'd like to start him out at game one of a of a longer series. If it's David Price, you know, all bets are off because. He's been awful, especially when he sees that team from the Bronx. So, yeah, I mean, I'll keep my eye on the Yankees. I know I think we play them 11 more times this year. Uh, I think the Yankees, I say we, the the Red Sox play them 11 more times. Uh, I think the Yankees have one game over. Uh, They've beaten them one more than than the Sox have this year. Needless to say, it's going to be a long, hot summer. It should be a lot of good baseball, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and the Yankees feel the same way. They don't want to use Severino in a one-off, but if you have to, you go with your ace because you got to be in it to win it, it. and you can't afford to be on the outside uh, and looking in because all you are doing is getting ready for next season. So it'll be an interesting run. Uh, I just find it. I did a daily brief yesterday, as you know, um, and maybe it's because I'm a Mets fan and maybe it's because I traveled the last couple of weeks and have been out of the loop, or Mm -hmm. maybe it's just one of those summers. But with the Yankees virtually guaranteed of making it, the Mets absolutely going nowhere. They're swimming with the Marlins, which is a disgrace. Football is still on the horizon, but months away from meaningless, uh, meaningful games, I should say. The hockey, the Devils have a development camp this week, so that'll be fun. But they haven't been active in the free agent market. They haven't made a trade as they have the last few summers yet uh, that energize the fan base. They're they're kind of in that move or that mode where they've established something and now they're just going to build on it. They don't have to make that really big leap. I think they're just trying to take slow, slow, small steps. Mm -hmm. Nothing's happened with the other teams in the area, basically. Knicks and Nets are the Knicks and Nets. And 
gosh, I mean, I'm I'm kind of waiting for some action. I know. Hey, listen, NBA summer league preseason, not preseason, summer league is rolling around, and the two, the Knicks picks both of them. And listen, it's been two games, but they've been terrific. The one guy, Mitchell Robinson, they picked at number 36. Here's a great story. He was McDonald's All-American, was the MVP of the Jordan Brand Classic game. Why I know this, I'm a fool and watch that kind of stuff. I follow the high school recruiting stuff. He's the MVP of that game. He's supposed to go to Western Kentucky. Okay, he's got a family friend that's a coach there. And then he starts taking summer classes and then he bails halfway through and forgets college, puts that in the back burner and has been basically working out on his own to get ready for the NBA draft. He's a seven-footer. He's a freak athlete. I mean, an amazing run-and-jump athlete. And he falls to number 36. The Knicks pick him up, and after two games, they sign him to a two-year, or a three-year, I think it's two years, and a and an option, $4.8 million. He's been terrific. Kevin Knox has been really good. Listen, it's the preseason. No one really cares. But it could be worse. I mean, they could be either hurt, like some guys, Trey Young is already hurt, and he's been bit really bad. And um, they could be shooting like 0 for 20 and looking like fools. But um, so far, it's something to keep your eye on. I know it's, but I, I hear you about being a long, hot summer. It's been a snooze fest. Yeah, and it has been hot. But at any rate, it, it is what it is. And I'm looking forward to some more action come the fall, or at least something to switch things up this summer. Yankee stumble. I don't say that because I'm a Mets fan. Mm-hmm. Red Sox stumble. Something to make baseball interesting. Because yes. to me... And I'd have to take a closer look at the standings this morning, but things are pretty, I don't want to say locked up, but if form holds, you know, teams are reasonably comfortable. Dodgers are coming on. Maybe, you know, they've battled a lot of injuries. That's an interesting story out West. How about a big trade, something at the deadline, Manny Machado, maybe he comes to the Yankees. I'm listening to folks on the radio talking about they want to trade a couple of rosin bags for for Manny Machado, throw in Luis Sessa, who finally... Uh, awoke uh, on uh, on Monday night and pitched well. You know, listen, it could be a big trade that shakes some things up. You never know. Yeah, and Machado saying, no, I'm a shortstop. So does that mean he doesn't go to the Yankees? If the offer's right, Baltimore, Baltimore will make the deal and Manny will move to third base. How about your Mets? Would you want to put one of those big pitchers on the block and really try and start over from, from scratch? I mean, I think putting DeGrom up there would be, you know, not the smartest move. He'd bring back a ton but uh, how about that? That could shake. Yeah, the only up. argument I would say for that is that he is the older of the two, quote unquote, studs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cindergaard has been a little fragile, not, you know, not Stephen Matt's fragile, but fragile nonetheless. And he's younger, so he might bring back a little bit uh, more in that sense. But DeGrom will get you a lot and he's an older pitcher. Here's the problem. Mm-hmm. I just don't have any faith in the Mets. I, know. I don't have any faith in the brain trust. Yeah. I don't think they know what they want to do. I do know they do know what they want to do. They want to save as much money as they can and pocket whatever they can. It's obvious. It's obvious there are only two truths that possibly pertain to the Mets. They A, don't have the money, or B, what money they do make. And I think baseball is flush with cash and the Mets have their own network and stadium. They just pocket it. And that's okay. Yeah. Peter Angelos is doing the same thing in Baltimore. It's just unfortunate if that's your team to know that ownership really doesn't give a darn, despite they'll protest. No, we are all about winning. No, they're not. So I don't trust the Mets brain trust. I don't. They got a three headed monster running things now with Sandy Alderson stepping down as he and we wish him well in his battle with cancer. So I, I just don't think they know what they're doing. Staying the course isn't going to work. So I guess, yeah, you know, get a trade out there, get 
a player that can fill a spot for a while in the lineup and get some prospects and let's rebuild. Maybe they could find a team uh, like the Cubs did and give up one of their top prospects. Like, a, listen, Glaber Torres is is right now as a star. He already made the all-star team. Um, I don't know. Maybe someone's desperate enough to give you at least one or two guys like that. And then you have to think long hard, long and hard about it because as good as Syndergaard and the pitchers that they have are now, they're going nowhere. Oh, no, they're not. Uh, so we'll see what happens. That might shake things up, make things a little interesting. So that's this segment. We're going to take a short time out. When we come back, we'll speak with Kevin Purcell of the State Golf Association. Their amateur championship takes place this week at Echo Lake Country Club in Westfield. We'll talk not only about that, but many of the good things that the Golf Association does to promote the sport here in the Garden State. everyone, Matt Lachlan, along with John McAlevey. And as promised, we're joined by Kevin Purcell, the executive director of the New Jersey State Golf Association, now in his fourth year at the helm of the NJSGA. Kevin, thanks very much for spending a few moments with us. You bet, Matt. John, glad to be here. So very happy that you could give us a few moments because you're at the start of a very important event. Uh, This is the busy time, the summer, of course, for the State Golf Association. But as we speak, the 117th Amateur is underway at Echo Lake Country Club. Last year, Dawson Jones, with a 36-hole final, was seven strokes off the pace at the start, rally to win. Can we expect something like that this year? Matt, I think we can, and uh, it could come from Dawson Jones, or it could be, or it could come from one of the other thirty young players that are here that are playing great golf around the Met area. Uh, the uh, golf course is in great shape. Chris Carson, the uh, uh, superintendent here at Echo Lake, has done a fine job in a in the midst of a trying year uh, with a late spring here in, in New Jersey, and uh, uh, he's got the, he's got it in great shape for these players, and uh, it's going to be a great tournament. You know, Kevin, we talked a little bit before we went on the air about all of the planning that you can do, and then you show up, and the weather could not be better. Tell us a little bit about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that you work on for the longest time that that you can uh, work on, because the weather is something you can't. Tell us a little bit about those things. You know, I worked, uh, we, we started meeting with the, the the uh, management here at the Echo Lake Club uh, back in November, my uh director of tournaments, Mike McEnany and I came down and met with the uh, pro Pat Fillion and the superintendent and the general manager. And, uh, you know, you, you can't plan, uh, too early. So we, uh, just started talking about how the golf course was going to play with the superintendent and with the pro, uh, and, uh, you know, just the general, uh, uh, concerns about being around a club with the manager and, uh, we we had subsequent meetings uh, all through the spring and and here we are uh, you know uh, ready to get going. Uh, last week around the office it was uh, uh, you know talking to Mike uh, saying are we ready and absolutely we were. So uh, the next thing is uh, to just get here and uh, provide the opportunity to players. It is you know, open. doing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Doing, sure. Yeah, doing the tournament management is much like much like uh, preparing as a golfer. You know, you get out there and you hit balls and you putt and you you do the things you need to do to to get your game in shape. And we've got to do the same stuff on our end. Yeah. And you got to play the weather as it lies. And thankfully, it looks like you've got great weather for the rest of this week. Uh, Before I rudely interrupted you, I was going to mention that it is open to the public. So if somebody wants to see the finest 
golfers, not only in New Jersey, amateur golfers, but also those who will enter from nearby states. All they got to do is ride up to Echo Lake Country Club in Westfield and stop by. And I know having witnessed this event in the past, these guys are really good. And it's a lot of fun because it's not the crushing crowds. You'll get at professional tournaments, but you're going to see some excellent golf. So, you know, we want to encourage those who are listening who might have some time on their hands this week. Come on out and see some great golf. Absolutely. You'll never know when one of these young players might turn into the next, uh, you know, whoever, Morgan Hoffman, for one. When, you know, Morgan was a, a great player from the state of New Jersey who uh, is now, you know, plays out on the PGA Tour. And, you know, he started playing in these events, uh, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago. Kevin, take a look from a, a broad perspective. I know it's sort of a tough question, but as someone is so intimately involved in golf in New Jersey, what do you see as the future of golf in New Jersey? You know, there's so much great golf in New Jersey with uh, not only the private clubs that are known, you know, nationally uh, as great golf facilities, but, you know, in the Ridgewoods and Baltus Trolls, Canoebrooks, Somerset Hills, but also the public golf courses are so terrific. Uh, you know, prior to being a, uh, you know, on the staff here with the State Golf Association, I, I ran the Bergen County golf courses. And, and when I was, uh, I had come out of the, the private club, uh, you know, in my youth, my dad was a member of a club, but getting into the public golf and, and seeing how, uh, how much, uh, you know, golf is appreciated, uh, throughout the state at the, at the public level, uh, you know, and, and how dedicated the, these, uh, these, uh, you know, county golf operations and privately owned public facilities are to provide great golf. It's, there's nothing but positive things happening in the state with regard to the golf uh, on both the public and private level. One of the things that the State Golf Association does very much to promote the game is the Caddy Scholarship. I know it's a very important endeavor. Tell us a little bit about it and, uh, you know, where the money goes and some of the other community initiatives that the NJSGA is involved in. Sure. The Caddy Scholarship Program started back in 1947. Uh, and in that time, we've given uh, scholarships to get uh, – you know, young men and women into college for, uh, uh, you know, to the tune of uh, about 3,000 scholarships, just under 3,000 and, and close to $15 million over the years. And, uh, you know, it's it's all done by, uh, uh, you know, donations from the club, uh, from the, the individual members of the NJSGA and, uh, you know, by by just dedicated volunteers who go out there and, and drum up the interest and, and by uh, great uh, caddy masters who get the kids involved in, in filling out the applications. You know, so, Kevin, uh, you know, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I get a chance to see you mention all the hardworking folks that work in and around uh, the golf business in New Jersey. Uh, I'm fortunate enough. I get to see it firsthand. My brother-in-law is the head golf professional at Fox Hollow. I don't know. Do you know Chaz Sarland? I do. Sure. Ah, all right. Well, we could tell some stories when we're off the air, but uh, Fox Hollow has actually been kind enough. They've come on. They're a uh, sponsor for us here at moresportsnow.com. But I get a chance to see him, you know, getting ready as the season rolls around and he's gone at three, four, not three, about four or five in the morning. And he's at the course until, you know, everybody comes home. And I hear all the stories intimately about the kind of grass that they're planting to the new golf carts that they're going to be uh, welcoming in towards the end of the year. So it really is an all encompassing business. It sure is. I was actually kidding the superintendent here at about uh, eight thirty. We were, uh, you know, we were at the registration desk, and I looked over on the patio, and he was sitting by himself on the patio. And I went over to him. I said, "Chris, you're, you probably don't do this typically." Uh, he says, "You know, Kev, at this time of day, our job's all done." 
because these guys started at four this morning and they've been preparing all week to get the golf course in great shape. But so by eight, eight, eight 15 in the morning, he's, uh, he's already done with his work day, uh, when there's tournament uh, going on. And, and it, it takes that kind of dedication to provide the, uh, the facilities and the, and the golf courses that, that we are so lucky to have here in New Jersey. And I think you touched upon it. The, the one thing that we should dispel is the notion that this is only a country club sport. It is not. While, Clubs like Baltusrol and Somerset Hills and Ridgewood and Canoebrook, some of the great courses in the world, are members of the NJSGA. So, too, are all those public courses. It is about promoting the game. It is a great game. You know, people think it takes too long. I think that that ship has sailed in terms of it doesn't take as long as you think anymore. Those five-hour rounds are a thing of the past. People are pushing the pace. It's terrific. Get out. Enjoy Mother Nature. Hit that little right white ball around. And don't get so frustrated if it doesn't go in as quickly as you would like. Enjoy the company of your friends. Enjoy being outdoors and playing on some of the great courses that this state offers. Kevin, this is the start of a very busy period of time. And it's it, as I said, summertime is always busy. But over the next month five weeks not only will the amateur be held but you're going to be conducting two other major three other major championships actually tell us a little bit about what we might see in a couple of weeks up at the montclair golf club yeah sure so uh this is the first time that in in the association history that we're holding two of our major championships in almost back to back with only a week between them. We decided uh, at the beginning of this season to switch our schedule around and move the amateur out of June and into July where the open traditionally is. And we did that in order to be more welcoming to the uh, students uh, at both colleges and, and, uh, and high schools who uh, were really struggling to find a time to, or would have to leave school in order to qualify for the amateur. So we moved the amateur into the, the uh, into this week and we moved the, open one one week back uh, and so we're going to be up at the uh, open uh, in two weeks at montclair golf club really thrilled about being up there they've been so supportive and uh we're we're, we're very excited to be playing at, on the montclair golf course and then uh you know beyond that we've got the uh the women's amateur uh also come up at essex county country club and then uh you know just a week after that is the uh is the junior so uh it definitely is a busy time but this is our time we're uh, we're geared up and we're ready to provide a uh, great opportunity for the for the players of uh, of new jersey and again for those listening if you want to go- Go out and see some great golf. Those venues are open to you. All you got to do is drive up. There'll be a spot and go around. Watch this week the best amateurs in the area and in the Garden State at Echo Lake. And then uh, the uh, men's championship, the Open, will take place at Montclair Golf Club. And then, as Kevin said, over at Essex County uh, Country Club, there'll be the women's championship. And they're just spectacular venues. Kevin, thanks so much for a few moments of your time on this busy day. And we'll see you Thursday for the final. Terrific. Thanks, guys. All right, a great Kevin. day. Thank Bye. you. Kevin Purcell, the executive director of the New Jersey State Golf Association, joining us on this week's podcast. And, John, that'll wrap things up. Enjoy the rest of the week. Absolutely. Looking forward to the great weather. All right. So long, everybody. Yeah.